0: We are, we are, we are, we are
1: cultivate. cultivate, 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 cultivate,
0: cultivate, cultivate. We are cultivate.
1: Hello and welcome to Yield Crime where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Yeah. So this episode is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. The first half of this episode is going to be an interview that I conducted with our friend Paul Babel from the History Rage podcast, you may remember him from an episode we did way back when about duels.
0: Yeah, that was such a fun one. He's was. so knowledgeable. He is.
1: Unfortunately, Maddie was unable to join us at that time during the interview. Because I'm trash. <laughs> well, because she had to, to do her job to make that money. Yeah. Uh. So don't be like, what? When you start hearing the interview and Maddie is not there.
0: <laughs> and then suddenly I'm like, I'm here. And then it's like, okay, bye.
1: Yeah. So she wasn't yeeted off the island during the interview. It was just yeah. a matter of the timing didn't work out. And that's sometimes what happens. I'm
0: not, I'm not a full on diva, I promise. It's just I can't take time off. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, that happens. Yeah. I'm going to... Now, turn it over to my past self and Paul Babbel as he tells us a little bit more about the history of body snatching.
0: Enjoy. Hello, and
1: welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and joining me today for the second time is one of our return guests. This is Paul from History Rage. Hello good to have you back on the show
2: good to be back how are you doing
1: not too bad i wish it would stop snowing here in minnesota but winter wants to try and hang on as long as it possibly can
2: i think we've if i look outside i mean it's getting dark now over here in england but uh, i think today we had our first sun since
1: 1982
2: fair fair i'm not equipped for that sort of thing i'm blonde i just go to like bright red and then lose a stone in skin shedding and back to pale blue so give me the minnesota snow (laughs) so
1: before we start as i mentioned you have the history rage podcast yep can you tell our listeners a little bit about it
2: okay well um history rage was it's always been an idea that was kind of running around in the back of my head until well basically you and maddie said go on do a podcast go and do it
1: it's our, it's
2: our fault it is, it's pretty much your fault we had actually tied we, we tried it on um on our youtube channel first of all so we were down at the chalk valley history festival and we just grabbed five historians that were there including dan snow oh my god um, to, to do, and to just ask them, them the same questions like what is the one thing that you wish people would just stop believing would just yep. get over and uh unsurprisingly there are quite a lot of pissed off historians out there <laughs> <laughs> um we've just booked the 40th guest kyle and i actually didn't think that we'd we actually came up with our own rages because we didn't think we'd get enough people to sign up you know so to give us a couple of rages you know my my personal rages no we're not sticking two fingers up the french there's no point uh, and uh, kyle's very kind of I don't know if I dare say this, but his basic rage is "Princes in the Tower." Who the hell cares? That's uh, fair. Yeah, fair, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we've not had an opportunity to do those because people have been coming out of the woodwork—podcasters, YouTubers, people who've actually written books and appeared on television, people who have their own sort of history channels and so forth—and like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's taken off from there. So some of our uh, some of the rages that we've had on so far have been uh, some of the good ones. The Battle of Britain was not a close-run thing that according to James Holland was an absolute cakewalk. Uh, we've <laughs> recently recorded um, the Battle of Waterloo is not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, it's not as important as people think. Um, we've also recently recorded we've got coming out in a couple of months' time. We'll have the First World War. is not like the poetry at all.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, And we, we've we got, you know, we're always on lookout for other people. So yourselves, anybody who's out there, if you want to have a rage as a historian get in touch with us because we will we, we will let you lower your blood pressure by <laughs> shouting like hell into a microphone. <laughs> Sounds very therapeutic. Yeah, it is. So some of the quietest historians have been kicked off with the biggest rages as well. Um, there's a lovely lady out there. She's a spy historian called Helen Fry. She's an absolutely lovely woman. who's written a book on MI9 and an excellent book called The Walls of Ears, which everybody should read. But she's just so quiet and pleasant and until she started raging about punctuation. And we were <laughs> going to keep this as an outtake. We thought, no, this is too good. Leave it in there. We just we all sat back for five minutes as she really went off on one.
1: That's hysterical.
2: But yeah, that, that is what you've helped launch <laughs> to the world, Lindsay. To everyone who listens, you're welcome. It was our pleasure. <laughs> yep. There's History Rage available on all good podcast outlets.
1: Brilliant. That's awesome. So today, the reason we have you back on the show is because we're going to be talking about body snatching. Yeah. So can you give us a brief rundown of how and why body snatching was even really
2: a thing? Okay, so like most dodgy things in history, this starts with (laughs) Henry VIII. So Henry VIII passes a law that allows certain criminals, where after having been hanged, that their bodies can be given over to the Royal College of Physicians, because um, there wasn't a Royal College of Surgeons at that time, uh, for dissection and anatomical study, mm-hmm. and, and there's about four a year, kind of go across just to just to the scientists. Science in that times is is still quite in its infancy, mm-hmm. but then as we go past through the Age of Enlightenment, we get more scientists, we get more students, we get more. So your Getting more and more anatomy schools setting up, but this is great because what we're doing is we're hanging more and more people, not a <laughs> mere to add to feed this demand at the moment. But we we reach a point in about eighteen oh five, something like that. Where we're under a system called the Bloody Code. Have you heard of it?
1: I'm familiar with the term, but I'm not as familiar with what the actual event was.
2: Okay, so sort of pretty much a period between, say, 1750 and about 1820, where there are 225 separate hanging offences on the British law books. Wow. Such classics as... In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five offences. Okay. One One of these will not get you hanged. Okay. Right? Game on. So... You have damaging a fish pond,
3: Okay.
2: being in a public park with a blackened face,
3: Okay.
2: harming a horse,
3: Okay.
2: pickpocketing to a value of greater than one shilling, all right. and impersonating a Chelsea pensioner.
1: I'm going to say the first one, the pond.
2: No, harming a horse will not get you hanged. Stealing a horse will get you hanged. Really? Harming a horse will not get you hanged, but all the other four are hanging offences.
1: Wow, that surprises me. I yeah. thought if you hurt a horse because they were so valuable that that would be, you for sure be hung for that.
2: But, no. no, if you wow. kill it, yes. If you <laughs> steal it, yes. Harm it, no. Well, yeah. all right then. So, <laughs> so we end up hanging about 550 people a year. Now, we don't send everybody to the dissecting table, but we start to send quite a lot of people to dissecting tables. Mm-hmm. and And then we get all civilized. We discover things like transportation and imprisonment and alternatives to capital punishment and we we go from about 225 hanging fences to about five basically willful murder arson in his majesty's or her majesty's dockyards i trying to think of the ones in treason mm-hmm. uh, piracy and mutiny i think now there might okay. be one other and And of course, then what we do is we go from hanging 550 people a year to hanging about 50 people a year. But by the time of that, the the dissection schools and the anatomy schools have got this demand and something needs to meet this demand. Yep. And that's where this black market of stolen bodies developed. The first body snatchers, Aberdeen students, Aberdeen medical students, two of them stole their own body to do a dissection. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I was at university. I was a physiology student myself, so probably the closest to an anatomy student that we've still got. I struggled to get up for a lecture at 9 o'clock in the morning, let alone be out at 2 o'clock in the morning digging up somebody else's body.
1: Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine
2: yeah that's
1: so that's a level of dedication i don't think most people have nowadays.
2: Yeah. well it's a lot easier to pass your degree these days yeah you know, <laughs> you know, and it's a lot easier i mean you still have to perform a dissection now to to get a surgery qualification it's just that you've got a lot more ready access to to the subject than you had then so mm-hmm. they would go out and they would they would steal their own and eventually this was happening so much it was starting to damage the reputations of these future doctors going down the route so that's when they need to call in professional help enter the body snatcher or the resurrectionist to uh, to fill that gap
1: i love how they tried to like fancy it up by calling it resurrectionist like that made it any better
2: you find me any person of any menial job in the world that doesn't like to glamorize their job <laughs> That's so it's true. not going to That's give true. themselves a fancier job title than they've actually got.
3: Yeah, yeah exactly. No say.
2: And it was—it's uh, was pretty much us that called them, call them the Resurrection Men rather than the, them. Them—they were just—they—they they didn't even—they didn't even name themselves. Really, these are just names that we, the British public, have put onto them. That's true. I'll stress at this point, by the way, what I'm going to be banging on about tonight is British body snatching. Done a little bit—a little bit of a look into American body snatching, but it's going to be mostly British. Is where my trail took me.
1: Okay, fair enough. Why on earth would anyone want to become a body snatcher? What was the benefit of being a body snatcher?
2: Right. Cold, hard cash, money, and lots of it. Now, we've got a, we, we've got a source called Diary of a Body Snatcher by Joseph Naples, um, and it is a primary source. It is literally like the account book of the Borough Gang, of south london and okay. it's one of the few kind of primary sources of body snatching activity that, that we've got because he seems to be the only person that ever kept receipts in accounts <laughs> and what we know from this is how much money they were getting from this which is 21 shillings and nine pence in a week now we're going to play around with a bit of figures here so to try and get this message across i just like put that through an inflation calculator and see what it it is today you've you've mm-hmm. got to come at this as a slightly different angle to understand the difference that this is going to make to people's lives okay. yep. so twenty one shillings and nine pence in a week your average wage in eighteen eleven of a guy that owns a shovel
3: hmm.
2: is eleven shillings a week so what you're looking at in twenty one pounds and nine nine shillings and thirteen pence i think it was is thirty nine times the average wage of a laborer so yes. if you think you in minnesota you've got minimum wage currently $10.33 an hour yeah yeah around there okay yeah. so let's uh, let's do a couple of sums so you've got $10.33 an hour
3: mm-hmm.
1: okay which
2: if we then multiply that by a normal 40 hour week so you're looking at $413 uh, a week mm-hmm. now we know that they're looking at 39 times the average minimum wage so first of all i want you to consider that you're now by stealing yourself like Probably in the region of about fifteen bodies over the course of a week. Okay. None of which are particularly decomposed. You're on sixteen thousand dollars a week. Wow! And you are you're you're working for seven months of the year as well. You get you you get these like summer off mm-hmm. because summer is really bad body snatching time because there's next to no darkness um, and actually the kind of ground heat kind of helps accelerate the decomposition. So you tend yeah. to also the academic year during the summer, no students, no students, no dissection schools.
1: Yeah. Really no point in digging anybody up because no one's going to use it.
2: Yeah. Um, but that's the level of money that you're going to look at. And if you then kind of like take that to, well, I, went, I worked it out actually. If you take that to the seven months of the year
3: mm-hmm.
2: before tax, $488,000 per year. I mean, you know, do you do you earn, earn anywhere close to that
1: now? No, I'd pick up a shovel for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah so We'd absolutely pick sense. up a shovel for that. So yeah, so basically, it is it is money, and mm-hmm. it's because the amount of money that's and we bear in mind that that money's coming from surgeons and people who run dissection schools. Now, you take somebody like Astley Cooper. Astley Cooper could charge a student seven pounds. So what we're looking at there again, 14 times the normal wage of a, you know, a a laboring person. He could Mm -hmm. charge a student seven pounds simply to attend a dissection. Oh, wow. He's got 200 seats in the dissection theater. Mm -hmm. It's 14 and it will sell out as well. You know, he's the top surgeon of the time. So he's going to be making like 1400 pounds at that point. Yep. So, Bogging the Body Snatchers 21 pounds is not going to dent him at all. And the Body Snatchers tipping off Cemetery Watchmen, Sextons, Undertakers. You know, you can bribe somebody with three times their weekly earnings in one night, and it doesn't even dent your profits. It's that big business.
1: So how would they know which grave to go after?
2: Well, the intelligence network that they've got is absolutely (laughs) brilliant. First of all, what we see, what we see from the diary of the body snatchers, the, these men are not thick; they're not uneducated.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You look in the, uh, you look in the Naples diary, and there's an almanac of like the moons and the sunset times and things like that. But so, so they're not daft. So number number one, what they do is they start reading the times, the Daily News, the Daily Post, and they start looking at the obituaries. Okay, and they start Makes looking sense. at the funeral notices. Because if you turn up where the funeral notice is, then you know you've got a reasonably fresh one. And the fresher you get, the better. Mm -hmm. So that's one route. Secondly, we're going to use the ladies. Because then once we've got this time and the place for the funeral, Mm -hmm. what we'll do is we'll send any woman that we can pay to to go along and pose as a mourner at that funeral, who will go beautifully hysterical and, you know, wailing and, gnashing of teeth and all that sort of thing meanwhile mm-hmm. well, what she's doing is like noting down how far down the coffin is mm-hmm. and did this person die of something particular because the last thing that you want to do as a body snatcher is crowbar open a coffin full of smallpox or something like that yeah you know yeah. so you want to, so so then she's gonna go and talk to quite a few of the people around there. you can also uh bribe a sexton gravedigger church warden something like that mm-hmm. see they're they're making about they're making about 12 shillings a week so you know if you drop them a pound 20 shillings in one night to go where are the fresh ones Mm -hmm. they're they're making very good money and of course they're going to be honest with that because they want another pound the following week when the other funerals come in
1: exactly exactly
2: so yeah i mean i mean it's a good sign is that there isn't grass on top of the grave that is usually a good sign Mm -hmm. they would go and look out you know, so they would just do a scouting run into cemeteries and see if anything there looked fresh and then come back with the stuff and try that. They would go to the workhouses and if anybody died in the workhouse, they would turn up and claim the body, claiming to be a relative. And the workhouse didn't want to pay for the funeral, so it didn't really ask too many questions. Oh, so yeah. there they're getting an absolute don't even need to dig that one out of the ground. That's you know, out onto the back of the car, into the sack and off to off to Astley Cooper. Or in the case of my locality, Robert Baker seems to have bought all of them.
1: Were there any cases of people who would take like bodies that had been dragged from the river, or is that something where it would be pretty obvious that they most likely had died from drowning, or is it something where they would want to still investigate?
2: You're dealing with anatomists here, so you're not dealing with pathologists. Yeah. So they're not going to ask too many questions about where that body's come from, but they're not going to pay for it if it's in a Bad foot. Now, somebody who's died of drowning and is come dragged out of the river isn't as well preserved as you might think. Okay. Stuff nibbles on them,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Stuff swims inside, eats away, and things like that. And and essentially, your anatomy starts to get very altered. Yes, it's probably the politest way of putting it when <laughs> yeah. uh, when you like pulled out of the river. So so and also pulling somebody out of the river is a lot more effort than digging them out of the ground.
1: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's a lot less pleasant work. So you know, body snatchers, like most criminals, if they if they're interested in doing a decent night's work, they'd go and get a job. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anything that looks too hard, they they're just not going to do. They they haven't got the time. I mean, they don't even dig the entire coffin out of the grave.
3: Yeah.
2: So yeah, but there's if it can be easy, great. If you happen to you know die at home. And they know you, they'll come round and take the body and go you know, go away.
3: <laughs> That's very you know, yeah. But
2: yeah, it's it's actually it's quite easy to get them out to get them out of the ground. It is probably the easiest apart from turning up to the workhouse and just taking them out the back of the infirmary, or actually just killing them yourself.
1: So like most crimes, you know, the poor nine times out of ten usually took the brunt of it. So is that the case with body snatching?
2: Um Certainly in terms of bodies being sold to anatomists, the poor do take the brunt of it because it's them that's in the workhouse. It's them that's dying unclaimed. Mm-hmm. And even even when they bring in legislation to combat body snatching later on, it doesn't really improve much for the poor.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They, then, yeah, because a lot of the poor people can't really stretch to the level of defense against the body snatch. So you've got things like what are known as guinea graves and they're almost like mass graves and we've got several examples of them in my local area where you've got nine ten people kind of buried in one plot because they've either died in the infirmary or the workhouse or so forth Mm -hmm. and so as a result they're not that far below the ground because you know the the deeper the hole the more you've got to pay the grave digger because you are basically paying for great time and labor so a 12-foot is going to cost you twice as much as a six-foot grave, which in turn is going to cost you four times as much as an 18-inch grave. Mm-hmm. So depending on money, that governs how much work you are to get down to. And okay. again, therefore, the poor are going to take the brunt of it. The poor are going to be the easy ones. Secondly, the poor just die in greater numbers.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And particularly, uh, you get deaths in childbirth
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and so forth which opens up a market for the bodies of women, children. Because something, you know, we, the, in the Georgian period, we might be uncivilized and hanging 550 people a year, but we don't hang women. Yep. No, we burn women. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It would be undignified to hang them. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> How progressive.
1: <laughs> so progressive.
2: Um, but what that means is that the, the anatomists very rarely get women to actually uh, do a dissection on. So the price of women is phenomenal. Uh, well,
1: I would imagine, too, like if it was a situation where a woman happened to pass while pregnant, that would almost be kind of like the holy grail of bodies to want to have for a dissection table.
2: Um, aside from probably the disabled and the freakish, yes. Uh, the highest that we know that was paid for a body was £500, pounds, which was paid for uh, a chap known as the Irish giant. Okay. Uh, And he was a, he was kind of like a, a, he was a circus attraction in his own right because he was that large. Sure. He actually wrote in his will and made his, uh, made made his friends promise that when he died, that he wouldn't be sold to anatomists. However, the moment he died, they realized just how much money they could get for him. God. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's sad, but yeah. It does, it's not surprising, but it's, it's sad. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the, um, yeah, I think I'm going to come on to the defences against it later. But they, they, there are things you can do against body snatching, but they cost money. Yeah. And therefore, if you are dirt poor, then you you haven't got it to spend. If you're reasonably affluent middle class, you still don't. I mean, I've seen some cases where people have been able to put like £50 rewards out for the return of a for, for the return of a body, but still couldn't afford some of the means to actually defend against it in the first place. That makes sense.
1: It does, yes. Good. How did the law treat body snatching?
2: Curiously. (laughs) Curiously. Right. So remember, I go back to those hanging offenses. This is really important. Yes. And I'm glad I'm talking to an American audience about this because, you know, what does America not have anymore? Hangings. Slaves. That's really important here because anti slavery legislation. um, I don't know what it's specifically like in u.s legislation but certainly in british legislation it kind of spells out that no man can be owned body or soul okay now if your body cannot be owned you cannot deprive an owner of an asset which is the definition of theft so taking a body out of the ground isn't a crime okay yeah you're looking confused (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It's not a crime. What you're left with is the it's not theft. It cannot be theft because theft is theft is taken with intent to permanently deprive the owner of the asset. Uh, that is the legal definition of theft. Okay? okay, something that cannot be owned cannot be stolen because you All cannot right. deprive an owner of the asset. Uh, okay. And this is why body snatching isn't theft, legally speaking.
3: Okay.
2: And this is why they take the body snatcher takes a great deal of care to only steal the body okay so where we've managed to find where body snatching has occurred well what you find is that burial shrouds jewelry grave guts are all left behind in the coffin the only thing that goes is the body because if you take a an example that i have in my local area a 15 year old girl called martha roddy really, she really was my nemesis because she was just in a, she was mentioned in a book, a very good book called Body Snatchers by Susie Lennox. And it's just that, that is, if you're looking for an intro guide to body snatching, seriously, everybody read that book. But in there, it mentions 15 year old girl Martha body was stolen from a churchyard in Armley, which was just up the road from me at the time. And she, uh, her body was put into its, back into its original grave after a reward was offered and the body was recovered. That's all the information that I had.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then we hit lockdown. So then I started to look in all the archives and everything. I've tracked her. I've tracked basically every element of that theft where she she was from. Now, when they discovered the stealing of Martha Roddy, inside the coffin was a tortoise shell comb that she'd been buried with and all the clothing that she'd been buried in as well. Actually, and one of the body snatchers actually left one of their coffin opening tools behind in it as well. well. But if you'd have taken that tortoise shell comb... Theft of greater than five shillings, and what happens to you? With theft of greater than five shillings, hanging. You are hanged. Yes. So that can be the difference between the misdemeanor of grave desecration, which, depending on how many times you'd been caught for this, it might get you a month of hard labour. Okay. It might get you. It might get you a public whipping through the streets. It's probably going to get you a fine, which is more than likely going to be paid by the surgeon who you're supplying. Fair. Certainly, Astley Cooper paid his hell of a share of fines for the Borough Gang. If you if you are notorious for it, you will probably end up inside, but you're not going to end up inside for long. I think the longest I'd seen was the longest I've come across so far is probably three months hard labour in York Castle Jail.
3: Okay.
2: Uh, there was a chap down in Norfolk. I forget his name. He actually couldn't get a wedding ring off the finger of the th- finger of the corpse, so um, he. Took it away with him. He was caught. He was transported to Tasmania for seven years.
3: Oh, wow.
2: Yikes. He should have cut the finger off and left it behind.
1: I was going to say, I thought you were going to tell me that he cut the finger off, because that would have made sense to me, but...
2: No, he he left the ring on, and that was his undoing. So, yeah, that's, that's how you've actually got more to fear from the relatives and the public Because if the public get hold of a body snatcher, there's a good old-fashioned lynching going to happen there. Yep, yep. It's 1826 to 1832. We don't strictly have a police force. You have like a town watch and town constables and things like that, but we don't have the Mm -hmm. metropolitan police force that that we know of today. The other thing you've got to be aware of as well is other resurrection gangs. There are about 200 working in London uh, at any particular time. Uh, And if you stray onto the graveyard of... One particular resurrection gang, then they're going to do you over. Um, if you make a mess, then you can't use that graveyard again, and that that gang is going to take some revenge on you. It is very when you look at the money it's involved again. Yeah, four hundred eighty thousand dollars each for a gang of six of you. Yep, that's that's a lot of money to be playing around yeah. with, and that mm-hmm. like everything, when there is a lot of money there's a lot of violence The uh, yep. to gang violence is one surgeon actually tried to stop dealing with the borough gang so they actually broke into a surgeon a surgery and uh, they they dissected all his bodies for him so when they were when the students came in for the following day all of his bodies had been cut into pieces Yikes. yeah that was a warning
1: yeah i i would i would take that as a warning yes yes, yes.
2: Is it not pleasant people?
1: No, so as you kind of mentioned earlier, I mean if you're if the law isn't necessarily on your side because there are no real measures that the police could do to prevent it from happening, what could your average person do to try and stop one of their loved ones from being snatched?
2: Okay, now, how dark do you want to get here, Lindsay?
1: Mess me up. Right. Let's go. Okay.
2: <laughs> because. The, uh, the object here is not to make your loved one impossible to get to. You want to make your loved one harder work than the other person that was buried on that day.
1: More Less desirable as a yes. dabber.
2: Yeah. Yes. Basically, they want to go in for the easy win. You want to make sure that yours isn't the easy win. So you don't have to make it impossible. You just have to make it harder than the one next door. Sure. Uh, now there are a number of ways that you can do this all so some of which are quite elaborate some of which are utter genius some of which are completely insane (laughs) so i'm going to start with the poor man's defenses number one uh layers of straw in between the layers of soil as you bury the person uh this was used in um one of my local churchyards st mary's in whitkirk near leeds it didn't work but we think that's because the the gravedigger didn't follow the instructions. But the idea being is with the layer of straw, these guys are using wooden shovels because they they make less noise. Like rule one of bobby um, snatching is always use a wooden shovel. Rule snatching. two is always get the teeth. I'll come to that one possibly later. But they're always using a wooden shovel. Now, if you try and get a wooden shovel through soil, it's quite hard work. If you try and get a wooden shovel through a layer of straw that's about three inches thick, well, it's nigh impossible. Yeah. Um, So that's a, that's quite a poor man's defense, but it does rely on somebody else doing it for you. Sure. Um, Because the church are not going to let you bury your own loved ones. That's true. You need to pay them. Yeah. So, so that's a simple straw. Uh, Another, well, another what people thought was a defense was um, that they would, they, they would leave like a shiny polished rock on top of the grave in certain patterns and what that. That, what that highlighted to them was that if that grave had been disturbed, so that they knew oh. that something had gone on. What it actually did in reality was show all the resurrectionists where there was a poor person buried recently. <laughs> you know, she actually did quite the reverse. They, they would come in and they would just zero straight in on that and uh, and away they go. You know, And they don't mess around. A good body snatcher can be completely in one body and out inside half an hour.
1: Yeah, I suppose after doing a lot, you get a system down and get very quick
3: at it.
2: Yeah, I mean you've got you've got methods of doing it, so it's not just you. You see in all the all the paintings, all the portraits of them pulling the entire coffin out. They don't. You dig a. You you locate the head end. You dig down. You break open. You place a either a rope or. When we tried it, I'll grant you not in an actual grave, but we have pulled a body out of a coffin that was when we dug ourselves and. Put a resuscitation doll in there and tried the, tried the same things. We've gone down and we put a large length of fabric kind of around the neck and under the armpits. And then, and literally you just then pull that body out uh, like okay. so. And then you throw the soil back in from and gone, leaving, leaving no trace. So when you've got, so what you're looking to do is you're looking to slow that process down. And that's what mm-hmm. the straw does. Okay. Now, there are richer things that you can do. Mort slabs; uh, these are very simply um, huge grave-shaped rocks, okay. big slabs of kind of like granite or something like that, and well, they're brought in on a winch and a pulley and lowered onto the top of the grave. Okay. Now we bizarrely get an idea of the decomposition times of bodies from this because you can rent these from the church for two weeks, after which the surgeon will no longer be interested in them.
3: Uh-huh. So
2: you would, you could rent that from the church as well as an, uh, as a, as an added extra. Uh, they mm-hmm. would come, leave that on there for a four, 14 days and pick it up. And then because, after, like I say, four, more than 14 days in the ground, you're safe. Mm-hmm. Body snatchers are not going to come. He, you know, any body snatcher that gets down there and finds that has got a bigger problem. And it does happen. We see it in the Naples diary where it says thing bad, which is basically <laughs> their slang for we opened it. And oh, my God, that was far too gone. Yeah, but still get the teeth. You can always sell those, sell those to dentists. Then you get the more elaborate mort safe. Um, so if you've there is a thing that goes around on social media that like shows this kind of concrete topped iron cage over a grave. Yep. Yep. Yeah, And people go, yeah, well, it's to stop vampires getting up. It's it's not. It's to stop body snatchers getting in, and that yep. is a mort safe. And what they'll do is they will those bikes will go about two three feet down into the ground they'll drive that into the ground so that again you look at that and think i'm not hacking my way through that i'll dig up the next one
1: well and especially if you have a wooden shovel
2: yeah i mean you've What's got the all the point? tools you can you can get in there but it's gonna take you a while to get in there yeah considerable there are easier ways of getting bodies than wrestling around with mm-hmm. and and then you can see cage layers as well uh, and cage layers are—they're covering family plots, and they are basically big metal cages. You can see some of these at Glasgow Cathedral. Um, okay. And if you are not wandering over to Glasgow Cathedral, Glasgow Cathedral put all of its paths and routes around on Google Street View, so you can actually take a virtual tour on Google Street View and go and see the cage layers at Glasgow Cathedral.
3: Oh, cool!
2: Everybody, look that up. Because they are oh. they are quite impressive. Uh, then you've got the really bizarre ones like cemetery guns. Uh, there's one of these I found in <laughs> a museum. At uh, in, now I don't know how effective these are going to be, but basically what it is is it's a large, it's a large bore musket mm-hmm. sitting on top of a gravestone, pointing kind of towards the body.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So much so that anybody and it's attached to like a wire and that this. The thought being that when you kind of dig into the grave, you trip this wire and it blows your bloody head off. I really don't buy it because number one, you can just turn the gun round. It's not not like this thing's accidentally going to go off dramatically. You can just you just turn that round. Secondly, there's no really point, no, not really much point loading that because the bang will probably uh, cause the resurrectionist more trouble than. Mm Than a musket ball that's likely to miss, uh, but they do exist and they are there. And there is one in Preston Hall Museum in Stockton on Tees in the UK, um, and you will probably find them. There's certainly there, there was certainly a patent lodged for one in the US Patent Office. And mm-hmm. um, the US Patent Office also has uh, the coffin torpedo, which is a booby I have trap seen coffin. Yeah, that's the patent, yeah, to, that's I have a seen the patent
1: for that. Oh, that's so cool.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's basically a coffin that's designed to explode if anybody goes in it. <laughs> and so, yeah, it gets... And the more you dig into this, pun intended, the more bizarre it just becomes. Yep. But that's that's an element of uh, defences. And then you've got, as in the case of Martha Robby, her uncle offered a reward, and that uh, that produced a recovery, and then back to her original grave. Uh, it was a fifty-pound reward. Uh, Martha's body was actually sold for eight pounds, so they actually, they paid well over sort of six times were what was paid for her, what was paid for the body to get the body back. Well, wow. uh, and that's that was quite a bit. That was quite a bit of money at yeah. that point. But yeah, she's still not guarded by any sort of mort-safe or anything like that. She was just in a family plot. So oh. mort-safes are going to be expensive. There's some mm-hmm. beautiful examples of them in in churches around scotland scotland was like it's the epicenter of body snatching really yep, yep. so and it's the the bear. i mean we we have we, we have them but uh not in scotland's league sure
1: obviously you know a lot about this subject how do you go about researching this
2: <laughs> with a great deal of difficulty <laughs> and you have to kind of approach research into resurrectionists with you. you have to get comfortable with one thing which is you can only track a bad body snatcher
3: that's (laughs) true
2: a good one will leave you no hint they were ever there and i do sometimes wander around churchyards thinking i'm just wondering how many of these graves are empty Mm -hmm. and um they've just we've got crossrail being built going through london at the moment and it's gone through saint james's churchyard Uh, so what they've done is they've gone in and they've um, they've gone in done a big archaeological survey of the plan and they've taken all the bodies out and taken them to Surrey and bury them in um, Brookwood Cemetery and they're finding so many empty coffins in there
3: that's insane there
2: there was just never any hint that there was anything wrong with there but they're getting down they're uncovering it it's broken open at the top bodies gone grave clothes have been left behind there's so many of them. And there's a case over in the West Midlands around sort of Birmingham area where they again, they for HS2, they were recovering re- recovering bodies and relocating them. And they were finding actually that they'd got coffins that were filled with rocks and the body had never been in them. And they think that the Undertaker mm. was actually just selling them on to the anatomists before Makes even sense. before even starting. But once you're onto the idea of you're tracking a bad body snatcher, apart from the borough gang, we know the borough gang because of Naples' diary, but it's pretty much the only primary source we've got. Mm-hmm. Everything else is coming from newspaper reports and and court records. Sure. And like imprisonment records and Parish registers and things like that. So you would you would look at you first of all go and search the newspapers because the newspapers love to get a good outrage on about body snatching. Yep. Um, at the time so you you start searching the like british newspaper archive or the u.s newspaper archive for resurrectionist for although you do get a lot of adverts for churches if you search for resurrectionist uh but you can so but definitely bodies natural resurrection men they will produce that produces you some results and then from there what you get is you get an idea of the parish so you can then get onto the archives the parish registers and you start right now i've now i've found the body the tricky part is to find the grave that's only really recorded in archaeological surveys sure that you have to go to the church to get and then some of the churches don't really want to be that helpful i've had some wonderful churches that think it's absolutely fantastic then i've i went to first time i went to saint mary's in whitkirk and they they said oh you can see our 15th century window it's like no i'm here to talk to somebody about who used to be in your graveyard uh, and that was the first they'd heard of the uh, snatching of Hannah Heesum, so five-year-old girl. Oh. Her father used the straw technique; didn't work. Gotcha. Uh, however, uh, the um, well, that body wasn't recovered. Uh, the resurrectionist that stole the body was arrested because he created such a mess in that graveyard. He was actually handed over to the authorities by another body snatcher. Wow. Well. It was a chap called Thomas Brown, a bricklayer by trade who was never known to work. That's what the newspaper said about him. <laughs> uh, he, was, uh, he was handed over by his accomplice, William Yardley. William Yardley had sold the body for two shillings and sixpence and then went and collected the £10 reward for information on theft. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, nothing if not ingenious. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you've got a lot of records, but it's the linking them together that is the uh, that is the challenge and certainly if you're following it through newspapers newspapers get things wrong newspapers make things up so you've got to try and follow that story i mean you've got the, the amount of notes that i've got that were just completely contradictory yeah on uh, uh, on the the root of martha Aldi
3: yeah
1: that's one thing i've really encountered too when researching older cases is that the newspapers it's more about the sensationalism of telling the story, not necessarily about getting all the facts right. Yeah. Yeah. You do, you do run into that where there is conflicting information about stuff. And I have definitely encountered that a time or two in yeah. my research.
2: And sometimes when you're presenting about it, you just have to go, I'm picking one. Yep. For no other reason than I like that, I might be wrong.
1: Yep. Or this one makes more sense a little bit than this one does.
2: Yeah. Uh, or just this is the one where, you know, I had five newspapers that said this and I had eight newspapers that said that. So on balance of probabilities, it's probably yep. that. Yep. But you just, that, that's not always the case. And as well, they don't keep court records like the Victorians keep court records. Sure, sure. So they're not transcribing everything that's gone. So if you want to know what's gone on in the trial, you've got to go back to the newspaper mm-hmm. and then get the report that they, they mentioned of the trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other way that i sorry the, the other way that i know about this a lot about this of course is we tried it as well
1: yeah tell people <laughs> yeah. if people haven't heard our previous interview with you which was god i think it was way back in episode like 16 or something tell people a little bit about how you because you mentioned earlier about how you tried doing this yeah so explain a little bit about that if you don't mind
2: so we, we became aware through various bits of research that there is a technique to getting the body out so you you don't take the entire coffin out and then lift the body out and go away with it. I mentioned this digging down at the head end and wrapping something around it and, mm-hmm. uh, and pulling it out. So we thought being living historian experimental archaeology types, you know we'd ha- we'd had some wine. well let's give it a try. <laughs> and what this has evolved into now is that we've got, we, we've built a large box that's about the size of a reasonably normal grave. So you've got about three feet of soil and then we've got a coffin at the bottom and we've kind of perspex fronted this so that people can watch from within the grave as it all goes on. Sure. And we will go down, dig down, break open the coffin lid, hook the rope around. We've used a weighted, I mean, it's a, it's a resuscitation doll. And the resuscitation doll is actually modeled on a real dead person that was pulled out of the river Seine.
3: Yes. Yes.
2: And, uh, but we've wait, we've weighted it to, like to make it kind of a bit more adult human kind mm-hmm. of weight uh, and then yank that out. We have actually done this with a real human being as well, although we didn't bury him. But we have <laughs> we we have kind of laid him down in the hole and pulled him out of the hole. Sure. So it, so it can be done. And that was, that was the view. It's like, you get all these things, do they work? There's a thing called the tunnel method. doesn't okay. work. And you'll see this, you'll see this in medical museums all over the place. And they go, yeah, what they did is that they dug a tunnel kind of 45 degrees down and then went in at the head of the coffin and pulled the body again. So you've got no idea where that coffin is. Yeah. You know, you could be looking at an 18-inch hole, three-foot hole, six-foot hole. St. James's church had an 18-foot deep grave. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, because if you've got a big family, (laughs) you know, you bought one plot, but you you go 18 feet down for the first one and then slowly build up yep but but yes so we tried it that works <laughs> method doesn't there you go uh, and if you want to come to you know those of you who are based in the uk you can see that at the chalk valley history festival this year we will every day from the wednesday onwards of the festival we'll be doing at least one live body snatch per day that's cool
1: it might seem obvious but why don't we have body snatching today
2: um two things really number one the 1832 anatomy act uh, and what that does is, now, there are there is a debate as to why the 1832 Anatomy Act comes around. But what it is, is basically it allows the unclaimed dead of the workhouse to be handed over to the medical schools. And it kills the market for resurrectionists. Because why would you just start going and paying £10 per body when you just pop down the workhouse? Yep. And they'll give you one for free. Yes. So it just, it destroyed the market for the body snatcher. And so the body snatcher just stopped at that point and went, back to doing his normal other different less profitable crimes
3: mm-hmm.
2: now why that comes around is a bit open to debate most sources say that it's response to what we call the london Birkin gang of 1828 now these were people that were just killing people and then handing their bodies over for money to the anatomists sure. so they weren't body snatching they were just murdering sure uh, but they were murdering people to get that money mm-hmm. and the The public is outraged. Something should be done, so the government do something. Mm-hmm. Now, that's one reason, and it's not a bad reason. Sure. But there's another thing that happens in 1828, and that is that the first surgeon is fined for illegally obtaining a cadaver. Oh. Now, I suspect at that point that there is a brief chat with a member of parliament down at a country club that says you need to do something to stop me getting fined. Sure. And... That is also then t- potentially a contributing factor. I don't know. They cl- they claimed in Parliament that it was that it was to do with the London Burkers. Sure, but I always ask myself the question: Is it is it really? Because mm-hmm. when you've got if, if you're in 1828, you know the amount of people in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland that actually have the vote are not going to be getting outraged by body snatchers. Why would a politician care about the opinion of somebody who's no threat to his career? Sure, But uh, but like I say, I can't back that up with anything further than theory. Sure. (laughs) But it's there. And the other reason that we don't have body snatching now as well is you can now donate your body to science, and you couldn't at that point. Uh, And so it's almost like a flooded market. You know, when I was a physiology student, we we were not short of of cadavers to do dissection on. I mm-hmm. didn't stay that long in the course to complete that bit, but but it was never in doubt. You know, you were told at the start you are going to be dissecting a cadaver; there will be one for you. You're not you're not sharing one. There were three hundred students on that course.
1: Jeez. and that's just fascinating to me. And I know, as in the case of pathologists, I think in like body farms and stuff where people can donate their bodies for. Yep. So they can learn about, you know, decomp and things like that. There's waiting lists now for stuff like that because yeah. so many people have done it, they don't have the room. <laughs> so like that to me is just like, wow, that's insane. But yeah, that's crazy.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are still some, you know, there are still some modern day cases of body snatching the that, that goes on, but they are very, very rare. And they're usually done to order and they're no longer being done by surgeons. So people would get it often happens where it's done for a ransom. Sure. So somebody sure. will steal a body of a loved one and ransom that body back. Charlie Chaplin's body was stolen and ransomed. Really? Yeah. They. Uh, if you want, a, if you want a more American one as well, it was tried with Abraham Lincoln's. but The Secret Service got to them.
3: Okay.
1: Wow. I did not know that about Charlie Chaplin. Okay. So final question, and I know you know it's coming.
2: <laughs> I've got the mug.
1: So Burke and Hare are probably the UK's, if not the world's, most famous body snatchers. But, as your mug proudly states, they were not body snatchers.
2: No, no. This was our first ever history rage.
1: I remember listening to it,
2: yes. <laughs> Hair are not body snatchers. They didn't dig a single grave. They are just murderers.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They, they start because, I think it's Burke is renting a room to somebody who dies, owing him money for the rent. Mm-hmm. And in order to get the money for the rent, he takes the body and takes it to Dr. Knox and sells some, the, the dead body. The £10 that they got per body was covering the rent. Great. Mm-hmm. Then, they, they, then they know a nice little earner when they see one. You know, yep. but they, were just, they were just too lazy to do grave digging. They weren't going to go out in the middle of the night, certainly not when they could just smother somebody. And they knew a lot of people that nobody yep. would miss. You know, I mm-hmm. think, what's the, what was the kill total for them? It's about somewhere between 11 and 16, I think. I feel like it was 19 total. Possibly. <laughs> it's just the great irony. I don't know yeah. what's about Burke and Hare because they're not body snatchers and therefore I'm not interested in them. So. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah.
1: It's, it's one of those things too where it's also up for debate because there are some victims that are attributed to them, but they might not have been murdered by mm-hmm. them, you know, like sex workers that went missing during that period of time and things like that. But yep.
2: yeah, if there's a case. I believe there was a case of one, uh, one lady actually on the dissection table that somebody in the audience knew. Uh, yep. And that's, that, that's what gave them away. But yes, they, they, they have become the UK. So you say the world's most famous body snatchers. There are films made about Burke and Hare, the body snatcher. Mm hmm. They never, they they never picked up a shovel, and if they did, it was only to batter somebody around the back of the head with it. Yeah, they've never actually dug up a grave or anything that they've been been made famous for. Then, if you, ladies gentlemen, if you take nothing else away from tonight, <laughs> right? Repeat after me: Burke and Hare are not body snatchers.
1: Yep, and it's so interesting because they are so tied with the story of body snatching. That it wasn't until I listened to that episode where I was like, you're right. <laughs> like, you don't even think about it because it's become so synonymous, the, uh, the two, until you really think about it. And you're like, yeah, they just murdered people. They didn't of yeah, they, they're anything. serial
2: killers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah, it's just fascinating. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts or any final, I don't want to say words of wisdom because that seems weird to say about body <laughs> snatching, but any... Uh, last things you'd like to say about body snatching
2: well what i would say to all the listeners out there because this is a good debate to get into and i'm not going to get into it now but you'll you'll have places via social media that that will be putting this episode there that have got comments and things like that so was it worth it did we need it and all things considered did it do more good than harm and i will let everybody in the world forever debate that
1: yeah, that's, that's a good question. Did the ends justify the means?
2: Yeah, because think about it. There are going to be some people on one side that have had treasured loved ones, just completely desecrated. But on yeah. the other hand, there is going to be people that have had stomach surgery where the surgeon knew where all the various bits were and how to close off a blood vessel inside of 30 seconds.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So for everybody that's taken out of the ground is somebody that's surviving an amputation. Balance that up.
1: It's a good point. Well, thank you again for coming on the show, Paul. I oh, you're appreciate welcome. Appreciate it welcome. greatly. So, before we go, can you let our listeners know where they can find your podcast, History Rage, and when new episodes can be expected?
2: Okay, so we release episodes fortnightly at the moment um, until August, when we're going to look at going weekly because we've just got that far ahead. Uh, on all major podcast providers, so we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Audible, we're on Google, uh, we're on Good Pods. Um, just search for History Rage. So our next episode, based on that, will be the Luftwaffe commit war crimes as well.
3: Oh, shocker! Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I would, I would, I will let that myth explain itself uh, in the episode. But yeah, that, so you can follow us on Twitter at History Rage, or you can follow me individually. I'm at Paul Bavel. Um, if you search for History Rage on Facebook, you can join the community and follow the page there as well. Awesome.
1: Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I've often struggled with gut health and proper nutrition, which made me wonder what sort of vitamins and minerals I may be missing that my body really needs. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. I drink my AG1 right away in the morning as a great way to get my day started. As someone who suffers from food allergies, I appreciate the fact that it's so lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. Not only that, but the subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is so important, especially in Minnesota where I'm from, where we don't get as much sunlight. For less than $3 a day, you can invest in your health. That's cheaper than a daily coffee habit. If you don't want to take my word for it, check out the over 7,000 five-star reviews that Athletic Greens has received. It's not just about the fact that I'm taking better care of my body. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company that gives back as well. For every purchase they receive, they donate to organizations that help supply nutritious foods to children in need, including No Kid Hungry. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And we're back. And welcome back. <laughs> uh, now that you have heard... A little bit more from our friend Paul on body snatching. Now Maddie and I are going to be discussing the history
0: surrounding Burke and Hare. The murder body snatcher murders. The murder friends.
1: (laughs) So for this portion, information was pulled from the following sources. A 2019 The Public Domain Review article, two sources on Britannica.com, Historic UK article by Ben Johnson. The University of Edinburgh article from the College of Medicine and Veterinary Medicine Postgraduate Study. The University of Edinburgh article from the Anatomical Museum. Undiscovered Scotland and Wikipedia. Nice. And as always, links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. As promised, who were Burke and Hare? Who were they? We have mentioned this infamous pair of Resurrectionists in previous episodes, specifically in our episode on body snatching, and our episode on the mysterious fairy coffins of Edinburgh.
0: That's true. They were in there too, weren't they? Mm Mm-hmm. It's only taken me like 80 episodes to get back to them. (laughs) It's fine. They don't need that much spotlight. Whoops. They can spread it out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This deadly duo would go on to commit the Westport murders and be forever linked to the act of body snatching, even though they never actually dug up anyone.
0: Right. Couldn't get their hands dirty with dirt. They got their hands dirty a different way.
1: With blood. William Burke was born in Ernie. I think it's Ernie. Ernie County, Tyrone, Southern Ireland in 1792. He had a brother named Constantine. And both were born to middle-class parents who gave them a comfortable upbringing. Can't tell you if Burke was the older one or younger one. Hmm. Information was vague at best. As teenagers, the pair joined the British Army and William served in the Donegal Militia. In 1817, William left his wife and two children and moved to Scotland, where he worked as a navvy or a manual laborer on the Union Canal. Following this, he went on to work as a laborer, a weaver, a baker, and eventually a cobbler. No candlestick making? No candlestick maker.
0: (laughs) No candlestick. I feel like that's the missing position, right? It is. He just
1: cobbles in a bathtub all the time. Yeah. I like it here. In 1827, he was living in the lodging house of William Hare along with his mistress, Helen McDougall. Because remember he was still technically married, so he couldn't actually marry her. Although he's in a different country now, so right. it was like
0: common law, quote unquote. Yeah, I didn't have Facebook, so yeah, couldn't find him. Couldn't find those cheaters. <laughs> yeah, and GPS
1: wasn't really a thing. So. No, no, find my phone tracking
0: tracking your spouse from an AirPod, little Air things,
1: <laughs> the AirDrop thing.
0: Yeah, it's just a rock that she put in his shoe. <laughs> it never worked. He like threw it out. This hurts my heels. I would know I'm a cobbler. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> it doesn't belong there. <laughs> William Hare was born in North Ireland and emigrated to Scotland, where he got work as a navvy during the construction of the Union Canal, which is okay. likely where the pair Same. of them met. Yeah. He would later enter into a common-law marriage with Maggie Laird, or Maggie Hare, and the pair would go on to own and operate a boarding house in Tanner's Close near Edinburgh's West Port. Nice. A pretty uh, slummy area of the city. Not Happens the, to the best of us. Yeah. You know? Not the nicest of digs, we'll just say that.
0: I've lived in some pretty crummy areas in Minneapolis, it's okay. <laughs>
1: I'm sure they were a little bit nicer than this, but who knows? Probably
0: smelled better.
1: I will say that I yeah. kept
0: a I kept a poor home, but a good one. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kept a
1: poor home clean. We'll just say that. <laughs> so now that I've given you the background on the two, as it whatever background it could be, because there's not a whole lot on their background, mm-hmm. we're going to dive into what they did and why. So by the late 17th century or the 1600s. Scotland's fledgling anatomists were running out of cadavers at an alarming rate. Mm-hmm. They were quickly exhausting their supplies of orphans, paupers, executed criminals, completed suicide victims, those yep. who were unclaimed by loved ones, and those who died violent deaths. Shame. Shame that they
0: were <laughs> the orphan the orphan stash was, was drying up. A stash this of dead so, orphans. It's sounds so awful. Is that our last orphan? We, we won't get another orphan for another week. <laughs> Sorry,
1: we're all out of dead orphans. In fact, by 1710, assistants had started regularly body snatching from cemeteries in order to meet increasing demands.
0: Oh, God. Could you imagine the pressure of having to do that? Because I'm sure they did get a lot of pressure of like... Well, you can't learn anything unless you have a body,
1: figure yeah. it out. And they didn't have any ways to kind of preserve the bodies back then. So right. it was kind of like you had to get them while they were fresh or mm-hmm. it was not good. So we've discussed body snatching at length, both mm-hmm. via Paul's interview and our previous episode on the subject. So I won't, I won't really dive into it too much again, but I will touch on one interesting point. Okay. Burke and Hare weren't the first people to kill someone in order to sell them off to anatomists.
0: Absolutely not. No.
1: In 1752, over 75 years before Burke and Hare would become a household name, two women named Helen Torrance and Jean Waldy killed a young boy that was eight or nine years old in order to sell him to some surgical apprentices in Edinburgh.
0: Dang, that's cold they
1: made two shillings and ten pence off him, which today would equate to around 17
0: pounds. Wow. Did they know the kid, or was he just an orphan, too? I have no idea. Oh, man. Both women
1: were found guilty and hung just days after the murder, which makes sense.
0: Were they used? I hope so. I hope they got used as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Serve your I hope right. they
0: took their eyes out.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> i'll is take your eyes
0: out is that aggressive
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a little aggressive but i'll allow it because they killed a
0: child they it's killed fine. a child yeah it's okay
1: from january to october in 1828 burke and hare would murder 16 people along with the help of their wives helen mcdougall and margaret hare and sell the corpses to dr robert knox for anywhere between eight to ten pounds or 542 to 678 pounds today.
0: Still, at the, I mean, that doesn't seem like a lot. It
1: doesn't know? seem like a lot, but you have to remember that like eight pounds back then mm-hmm. was like half a year's salary.
0: Right. Well, I suppose if you think about it too. For like, like how much two
1: hours worth of work.
0: Right. Well, and... They probably weren't able to pay that much anyway because there was such a need for a lot of them that they probably were like, you know.
1: Oh, no. They were like making it rain paying for cadavers because the students that would go to witness these dissections Mm -hmm. would each pay like 20 pounds a piece
0: Um. just to
1: attend these lectures. So... Yeah. The anatomy business was a was a booming business to be in if you wanted to make a lot of money. Like Yeah. That's why so many people were willing to get arrested digging up bodies because the money was so good. Yeah. It was like even if I got if I get arrested and put to jail or put to death or whatever, at least I know my family's going to be well taken care of. Right? The only person they didn't kill was their first victim, a man named Old Donald, who was an old army pensioner that lived at the Logs Lodging House in November 1827. So, like the year before they started murdering people.
0: Died of natural causes, probably.
1: Yep. After passing from dropsy. What's that? I don't know what dropsy is. What is dropsy? Just dropping dead. <laughs> he dropped, see? <laughs> It's edema, which is a condition characterized by an excess of watery fluid collecting in the cavities or tissues of the body.
0: Yep. Dang. What a horrible... Ouch.
1: Yeah. Causes swelling in the feet, the ankles, and the legs. Uh, Does not sound fun.
0: No.
1: He still owed hair four pounds or 270 pounds today for lodging.
0: So he just sold him off instead.
1: So, Burke and Hare removed <laughs> Donald from his coffin. And I think they put in like some moss and some sticks or something to weigh it down. So, people, when they awful. came to get the coffin, they wouldn't be like, What's this empty coffin doing here? And
0: that's so awful.
1: They sold him to Dr. Knox for seven pounds or around 470 pounds today.
0: Yeah, it can't be negative. Or a break even. You gotta yep. make a little more. Yep. So they made
1: almost, he made almost twice what he was owed. And deciding that the body snatching game was much more lucrative than they had imagined, the pair skipped that bit that involved digging up bodies and just went straight to murdering people instead.
0: As you do, you know. Don't get your hands dirty. When you want to stop making shoes. Murder. Don't hurt your back. Using a shovel. Just, no.
1: kill him. The grift would be that Hare would prowl the streets of Edinburgh to scope out their next victim, usually someone that was infirm, old, already drinking heavily, basically someone that people wouldn't miss.
0: Right. And easy to excuse. It's like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that they died because they were a drunk. Yep. Or they were a sex
1: worker. Because remember, this is in like the slummy version, the slummy section of Edinburgh. It wasn't like... They're like, that's the risk you take. Yep. It wasn't the nice part of town. Right. So once he'd selected their next victim, he'd invite them to rest at the lodging house. Of course. Where Burke would lay in wait. After getting their unwitting guest well and truly drunk, they would Burke their victim. So Burke would lay atop the person... While hair covered their mouth and pinched their nose shut so they would suffocate to death.
0: Nice. And be semi crushed. Yes.
1: The beauty of them doing this is because there would be no outward sign of how the person died. Right. Because there's no strangulation marks on the neck from like mm-hmm. manual strangulation,
0: no holes where holes shouldn't be.
1: Yep. No guns, no bastion heads, no nothing. Mm-hmm. The ideal cadaver. Yeah. The first barking victim was a sick lodger at the boarding house named Joseph Miller. And since no other current lodgers were sick, giving the men a convenient alibi should they suddenly die, they turned their sights elsewhere. So they, after after old Donald, they had one more sick person. And then after that, they're like, well, shit, now we got to go find somebody.
0: Yeah, now we got to go find the sorry people murder their next
1: victim was abigail simpson who on february 12 1828 was given copious amounts of alcohol before being smothered and carted off to the knox anatomy school due to the quote-unquote freshness of her corpse she earned the pair 15 pounds or a little over a thousand pounds today
0: yeah we just found her it's crazy right yep literally just fell into our laps and died fell down dead drunk Crazy.
1: After this, another tenant of the lodging house was burked because I think, if I remember right, they had, they were getting jaundiced from something. And so Mm. Hare, who like ran the boarding house, was like, well, I got to get rid of this guy because if he's sick with something, I don't want anybody else like getting sick here. Right. Because we don't want it, you can't make money off of sick cadavers. No. So he was burked, followed by another woman that was lured to the boarding house by Maggie Hare. After this, Burke invited two known sex workers to the boarding house, Mary Patterson and Janet Brown. Janet left after she got into a heated argument with Burke and his mistress, Helen. When Janet eventually came back to retrieve her friend, Mary, she was told that she had left with Burke. The following morning, several of Dr. Knox's students recognized the corpse of Mary Patterson for, I'm assuming, obvious reasons.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Sad.
1: Yeah. Next was a beggar woman named Effie, who earned the men 10 pounds, or around 678 pounds a day. A woman that Burke had helped out when she got into a spot of trouble with the police, before he was like, bye bye Right. An elderly woman who died from an overdose overdose of painkillers that they had provided her. And a deaf boy whose back hair had broken, who apparently was her grandson.
0: Right. Probably the only person that would come looking for her. And potentially did go looking for her.
1: With the exception of Effie, these three victims earned the men eight pounds apiece, or around 542 pounds each. The victims continued to pile up. An acquaintance of Burke's named Mrs. Osler, and even his mistress Helen's own relative, Anne McDougal.
0: That's so messed up.
1: Yeah. I can't remember, like how close in relation she was, like if she was a cousin or like a distant Mm -hmm. relative, I don't remember. And I couldn't find it anywhere.
0: Okay.
1: All I know is they were related, which is messed up. Mm -hmm. Following this, the pair would murder an elderly sex worker named Mary Haldane, along with her daughter, Peggy Haldane, when she came later to find out what had happened to her mother.
3: Dang.
1: Given how well known Mary was because of her line of work It was at this point in time that people started to suspect that something was going on with Burke and Hare. The pair's scheme started to fall apart when they murdered a well-known young man named James Wilson, who was often called Daft Jamie. He was a well-known street performer. So he was very recognizable. Why would you do that?
0: They were probably just getting too comfortable. They were getting
1: greedy at that point. Mm Mm-hmm. When Jamie was displayed on Dr. Knox's examination table, several of his students recognized the young man. And although the good doctor denied that it could possibly be Jamie, he proceeded with the anatomy lesson by first removing his head and his deformed foot. (sighs) Now there's no way to know that it was Jamie. Right. Birkenhair's 17th and final victim was a woman named Marjorie Campbell Doherty, whose body was discovered hidden under a bed by lodgers James and Anne Gray.
0: What a horrifying sight. Yeah. Finding a dead body under the bed, because, like, why would it be there? Yep. It's the point of you dying underneath a bed. Yep. Marjorie had been invited to stay with the Burks, who
1: had temporarily sent James and Anne over to Hare's boarding house so that they could commit the murder on October 31st, 1828. However, when the couple returned to collect their belongings from the room where Marjorie had been murdered, that's when the grisly discovery was made. Awesome. Helen, in an effort to protect her lover, Burke, tried to bribe the pair with 10 pounds a week, or around 678 pounds today, but they reported the crime to police
0: anyway. Yeah, like, no, because I wouldn't trust him and I would definitely think that I would be next. Exactly. No matter what. Yep, they're not going to pay you. They're just going to murder you.
1: Burke and Hare sold Mary's body before the police arrived at the lodging house to investigate. But when their stories regarding her didn't match up and her body was discovered and identified by James Gray at Knox's Anatomy School, Mm -hmm. the police arrested them and their wives on November 3rd, 1828. While committing their crimes, the men would transport the cadavers with a tea chest pulled by a horse. But when they went to deliver the bodies of the old woman and her deaf grandson, they couldn't fit both in the tea chest and instead had to put them in a herring barrel. Oh, God. Which Hare's horse refused to transport. Apparently, he later shot the horse in anger.
0: Wow. Well, I suppose, like, the disregard of life in general was pretty high. So, why not?
1: The story of the murders hit papers in Edinburgh on November 6th, 1828, and after the story was released, Janet Brown, who had escaped death at the hands of the men after her argument with Burke and his mistress, went to police and identified clothing found at the lodging house that belonged to her friend, Mary Patterson.
0: How devastating to find out and to fi- fi- figure out like how close you were, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. too. Do you think she knew that she was close to being murdered at the time? Probably. I don't think. Would you be afraid to say, say something? And I apologize if this comes across as
1: offensive, given the line of work they were in. I in no way intend for it to come across that way. But I wonder if it wouldn't have been unusual for them to just kind of go somewhere, meet up with somebody and then go somewhere else. You know what I mean? So at the time, she wouldn't have thought anything of it.
0: Right. Well, and if if you're in that line of work, too, you're not going to be going to the police for help. Exactly. So, exactly. so that, like, you're not going to say, hey, somebody tried to murder me, because then they'll be so focused on what you do for a living. Yeah. And punishing you for that. Yep. That they'll be like, wow. Well, That's
1: kind of what I was assuming is that if they had gone there together, likely because Burke had brought both of them there under the Mm -hmm. assumption that they would be providing their providing their services to Burke. And if she left and then came back and Mary and Burke were gone, I'm sure she assumed that Mary was doing her job and it wasn't anything out of the ordinary for her. Right. But also maybe part of her was like, this is really weird. Like what happened Mm -hmm. to her? Why isn't she here?
0: I don't know. I feel like I feel like your um instincts would be better to better in tuned in that line of work as well. Yeah. Hopefully. I would hope so. Yeah.
1: The trial began on December twenty fourth, eighteen twenty eight, and Burke and Hare were tried along with their wives slash slash mistresses, and Doctor Knox was also being tried when it became apparent that there wasn't enough evidence to pin every murder on them. Lord Advocate Sir William Ray offered Hare immunity from prosecution if he confessed to the murders and provided King's testimony against Burke. Hare blamed the actual killings on his partner, and it was Mm -hmm. his testimony that led to Burke being found guilty. Burke and Helen were charged with the murder of Marjorie Docherty, while Burke was additionally charged with the murders of Mary Patterson and James Wilson. Burke exonerated Dr. Knox during the trial, stating that he had no knowledge of the crimes prior to him purchasing the cadavers.
0: That's nice of him to do. Yeah. But I mean, um, it makes sense now when you when you know that it's the crimes were referred to being Burked. Mm-hmm. That's why. It's because yep. they made the case all him and not hair yep what a bummer but i suppose like being haired (laughs) yeah it doesn't have the same ring you know
1: no on january 28 1829 burke was hanged in front of a crowd that was estimated to total around twenty five thousand people at lawn market wow his body was later given to an anatomist named professor monroe where it was publicly dissected on February first at the Anatomy Theatre in the old college building of the University of Edinburgh.
0: Allegedly,
1: <laughs> Professor Monroe even dipped his quill in some of Burke's blood, before noting, quote, This is written with the blood of William Burke, who was hanged at Edinburgh. This blood was taken from his head, end quote. Dang. In another macabre twist, his skeleton was turned over to the Edinburgh Medical School, where it can still be seen. Mm -hmm. Along with a pocketbook that supposedly is bound with his skin at Surgeon's Hall Museum, (laughs) there is also a death mask of Burke and a life mask of Hare on display at Surgeon's Hall Museum. In the case of Hare, he was imprisoned and released in disguise on February 5th, 1829, (sighs) And sent to Dumfries before eventually, before virtually disappearing. Yeah, there are rumors that he was thrown into a lime quarry by an angry mob, before living on the streets of London as a blind beggar.
0: We can only hope.
1: Yeah, I don't feel bad for him.
0: That he had a bad bedtime.
1: Yep. Helen Burke's mistress was released after the jury noted that the charges against her couldn't be proven, and after being mm-hmm. almost lynched, she fled to Australia. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Maggie, Hare's common-law wife, fled to Ireland upon her release. Hmm. As for Dr. Robert Knox, following the trial where no charges were pressed against him, he was disgraced and left Edinburgh for the London borough of Hackney, where he practiced as a physician until his death in 1862.
0: Isn't that nice that he still got to practice medicine? Right. Isn't that just so nice, knowing that he probably was definitely turning a blind eye? Oh, yeah. At some point. They all were. Mm-hmm. They all knew they were
1: buying bodies of people who had either been dug up or murdered. Like Right. How else so are you getting these bodies?
0: For, so much for doing no harm.
1: I've used it a few times in this story, but burking became a new slang term in Edinburgh that was a verb meaning, quote, to smother a victim or to commit an anatomy murder, end quote. Following the murders, as is so often the case, a fun little rhyme was invented that went as follows. Quote, up the clothes and doon the stair, butt and Ben with burke and hare. Burke's the butcher, hare's the thief knocks the boy that buys the beef end quote
0: you know it's kind of funny what it's not funny but i can see burking being a like a fortnight dance if it were to <sighs> be something <laughs> happening now just like completely inappropriate like something in minecraft or Fortnite, or instead of teabagging you're just
1: like burking people you just you just <laughs> it's like you're doing like, the
0: caterpillar on top of somebody <laughs> Hitting them with a pillow. Oh, God. Smother, 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 and twerk. (laughs) (laughs) And twerk. Something awful. The following
1: quote from author George McGregor, who wrote the book History of Burke and Hare, pretty much sums up their legacy. Quote, of all the criminal acts that have occurred in Scotland, few have excited so deep, widespread, and lasting an interest as those which took place during what have been called the resurrectionist times and notably the dreadful series of murders perpetrated in the name of anatomical science by Burke and Hare, end quote. And that is the interesting double hitter of the act of body snatching and the brief history of Burke and Hare.
2: Nice. Hello. Thank you very much for downloading History Rage. We are the podcast that asks leading historians, what's the one thing that you really wish people would just stop believing? And we have a lot of fun finding out the answers. If you're on a taster, we'll just have a listen on, as our historians will and truly let fly. People will say that William Burke was a body snatcher, that Burke and Hare were body snatchers. What really winds me up is this almost pride that we have in this country that we were that, that we were just basically uh, old men with pitchforks lining the cliffs
1: so first there is this idea that the wars of the roses were between yorkshire and lancashire the one thing again it just it's i hear it and it just makes makes my head explode everybody
2: seems to believe when we talk about the battle of the bulge it wasn't all hard snows and blizzards and... This idea that the landings on Omaha Beach were this bloody disaster because it's patently not true.
0: Everybody on the telly and in newspapers referred to the day as the end of the war. It was not the end of the war. It's people who say things like, the RAF was the last defence against the Nazi hordes in the Battle of Britain. That's
2: the thing that really, really bugs me. And there you have it. So, if you'd liked that, give us a follow, download the back catalog, come and join the History Rage. Thank you.
1: On that note, this week's podcast blog <laughs> is unsurprisingly history rage. Hosted by our friend Paul Babel and Kyle Glover, History Rage is a fortnightly podcast where members of the history community debunk the myths about major historical events and figures and discuss what they wish all of us would stop believing. If you check out their very first episode, you'll hear them discussing today's topic with Kat Irving, conservator of human remains for the Surgeon's Hall Museums of Edinburgh. Cool. It was a really cool episode. I listened to it. Yeah, I bet. And this week's listener question comes from Ashley from the Studying Scarlet and Pineapple Pizza podcast. She wants to know if Paul Bunyan were real, would you secretly suspect him to be a serial killer?
0: Paul Bunyan?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, is Babe the Blue Ox also real in this scenario?
1: I'm going to say yes.
0: Then, like, yeah, for sure. It'd be too fantastical to not.
1: Yeah. I'm going to say in this scenario, because it's completely fictional. I'm imagining he wouldn't use the axe. He would use babe. Yeah, and I was he, just
0: gonna say, yeah, babe, babe would be his muscle.
1: And he would use babe in the sense like, you know how police horses are trained to yes. like rear up with a certain term, like mm-hmm. a certain word? It'd be like that. Yep. He'd say something like, Babe, pancakes or something weird, and then like
0: No, he it'd have to be it'd have to be Minnesota specific, like
1: Hey, babe, did, you hear the,
0: did you hear the loon or he'd make like a loon sound a loon call and she'd just like but that'd be too random gore. because like the loon
1: it would be such a common sound that then she'd just be rampaging all the time yeah oh she's yep. just constantly like rampaging
0: he'd be like hey did you hear that loon and she's like hell yeah i heard that loon who am i murdering <laughs> Point me in the right direction for mayhem. Which way was the loon, Paul? <laughs> Due north.
1: And like the stop command was gray duck.
0: Yeah. 10,000 lakes was
1: were all filled with blood. He's like, hey, babe, duck, duck, gray duck. And then she would stop. She'd stop the rampage. Gray duck. Gray duck. And all would be well. Mm hmm. On that charming note, what's something good you'd like to share?
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, I was trying to think of something earlier. This is going to be kind of minor and something I'm still exploring, but um, I've had some kind of weird health issue stuff, which is not super uncommon considering I am living with a chronic illness and like random body pains happen. Mm -hmm. And so... I've been having some pretty gnarly stomach stuff recently and I got the konjac kon konjac k it's K O N J A C jelly I don't know how to say it but okay konjac I think but I fu- I saw it on TikTok and it said it like helps with gut health and you know your hair and all this stuff and it was I think I think on average a pouch is like 11 to maybe 14 grams of carbs, so, like, super low, and it, it's similar to, you know, those jellies that you can get at Asian markets with, like, the little coconut in it?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's very similar to that in taste. Okay. And so, I had gotten some, and I had tried it, and I was like, oh, these are good, and then I kind of ignored them, and then this weekend, I had really nasty, really nasty stomach pain, where, like, I couldn't sleep, and... I am so sick of taking medication for it. Like mm. I had already taken enough. Like I couldn't take any more that day. And so mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I'm just going to have konjac jelly and see what happens. And I didn't have any stomach pain that entire night. And I like almost cried when Aww. I woke up in the morning because it was such a relief. So I'm going to experiment this week and see if if that's a real thing. And if it is. Just kidding, it's not. Please don't buy it out. It's all mine, please. Some <laughs> <Send> me <laughs> have some.
1: It's mine. <laughs> it's right, Back off.
0: It's, right, it's already popular on TikTok, so you know. That's kind of the kiss of death if you ever want something. Is yeah, having... once, it, once it hits TikTok. Then... Once once the teens know about it, it's done. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But it was really nice to like not cry after eating. So Yeah, I bet.
1: How about you? I'll use Charlie's by something good. So I had to take him into the vet on Friday, which doesn't sound great, but... Just a checkup? Well, he's got stuck eye caps from his last shed, and that can be a problem because it could get infected.
3: Oh,
1: yeah. Eesh. Mess with his eyesight. Obviously, if there's like dead skin that he can't get off, so... And how funny would it be to give a snake eye drops? (laughs) Well, it's funny that you say that. Oh, no! So I took him in... They were really nice, and uh, she put this like lubricant type jelly thing on his eye caps because okay, people that yeah. don't have snakes, the ball python it just has like essentially a glass eye. They don't blink yeah. or anything, and when they shed, the eye sheds as well because obviously their eyes grow with the rest of their body. And if just it doesn't so come...
0: I know, but if your it eye shedding,
1: <laughs> I know, but if it doesn't come off, it can you know really inhibit. Their vision. It could get infected. There's a lot of things. It's not a good time. It's not good. So I was like, I need to get this off. So we tried using this like lubricating jelly. It didn't do anything. So she gave me something to bring home with me and kind of try over the weekend. Other than the eye thing, she's like, he looks super healthy. He's beautiful. He's got a really great temperament because he didn't try to bite her when she's like holding his head down to like rub his eyes, which.
0: With with vaseline, cool. With essentially with vaseline, <laughs> let
1: me like lube up your eyeballs, like
0: yeah.
1: No one's gonna want to sit still for that. No. So um, she was honestly very surprised that he did not bite her, and he was so good about it. I felt like a very proud first time snake mom. Funny. They still haven't come off. They've gotten a little bit better. I did. Uh, you're not supposed to put a humidifier in a ball python's enclosure, but I put a little humidifier in there that doesn't just to see if it would help to help with the humidity and it's not one that like sprays a bunch of water it just kind of like does a light mist because the concern is that you're going to get like mold and mildew growing in the enclosure if it's too wet yeah so but it seems to have helped right now he's like crawling all over it because it's a little log with a little like thing at the top cute i think it's helped a little bit i also bought some I haven't opened it yet, but I'm assuming it's basically just like Vaseline that you like lube up your snake with when they are getting ready to shed. It sounds so hot. But yeah, I'm hoping that I go back on Monday. So I will have gone back by the time this comes out to see if they can do anything else. But
0: Cool and also gross. Yeah. So it was
1: (laughs) a very educational visit to the vet. (laughs) But it was also nice to hear how many compliments he was receiving for how... Mm -hmm. For his coloring, for one, and two, like how healthy he looked. So yeah, I was very pleased. So that
0: means you're providing a good home.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's my first snake. Right. So I don't have all the answers. All right. <laughs> you can find us online at YieldCrimePodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at YieldCrimePod and on Instagram and Facebook at YieldCrimePodcast. We're also on YouTube. You can send us something in the mail at our PO mm-hmm. box, which is YieldCrimePodcast. P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. This information is also listed in the show notes, so please don't get into an accident trying to stop and write this down somewhere. Like, please know. (laughs) You can email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Submit your questions, story ideas. Say hello. We'll say hi back.
0: We love saying hello.
1: A great way to support the show would be to leave a five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts, pod chaser good pods or leave a rating on spotify this week's review comes from pod chaser and it comes from Paige. and they say okay these two seriously crack me up the stories are usually weird ones that i've never heard before i love that they designed an entire podcast around pre-1900 crimes because some of these are messed up but they're yeah. so entertaining not to mention the laughter between these two is highly contagious. Dedicated listener for sure.
0: Thank you. And for the record, this is Lindsay's brainchild, so I can't take credit for her being like, she was like, "Hey, what if what if what if we did true crime before the 1900s?" And I was like, "Okay, cuz like it was super saturated. And look at look at what's happened. Look at us. Look at us.
1: Episode look at us. 95. Look what we did. Almost to 100. We're, it's it's right there. That's bananas. Looking at
0: it. I can't even, I can't fathom that.
1: But thanks, Paige. Thank you, Paige. That was very sweet. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee with a one-time donation. You can also become a patron on our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month and join our other great supporters like Erin and Juline. Yay! And guess what? What? I got rid of Redbubble because I didn't have time for it. So <laughs> oh,
3: <no! laughs>
1: So if you want some merch, <laughs> head on over to our tried and true Tea Public shop where I will be updating artwork because now it's in one spot and I'm not transferring everything over to a new site because I don't have time for that.
0: Just I just Want some merch? Well, don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> want some merch? Guess what? You can only go to one place now instead of two, which is great because no one bought stuff at Redbubble anyway.
0: Bummer. Probably because I didn't put the link anywhere. That's my bad. <laughs> exactly so you want some merch no (laughs) good luck finding it indiana jones buy us a coffee and we'll show you the link
1: (laughs) and special announcement keep an eye on social media because we are going to be announcing a special giveaway we are doing for the month of may Mm mm-hmm so keep an eye out for a submission form where you can be entered multiple times to win some pretty cool stuff.
0: I've seen it and can, and can verify its coolness.
1: Details on how you can enter this month-long giveaway will be shared on social, so stay tuned. Mm-hmm. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale is all this crime.